BC's plan, again, another another introduced bit of legislation from the EB government this past week, the plan to confiscate suspected proceeds of crimes was something called unexplained wealth orders. This is a court order that compels the target to reveal to authorities the source of funds derived to obtain a particularly asset, like a luxury vehicle or a property. That Even the premier, Mr. Eby, says this one is likely to be challenged in court. The B.C. Civil Liberties Association, for which Mr. Eby was once counsel, says this has no place in Canadian law. We've uh, found Greg McMullen, who is a lawyer and a special counsel with SEGEV LLP, to uh, join us this morning. Morning to give us his take on unexplained wealth regulations. Greg McMullen, good morning, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sterling. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good to have you, Greg. Did I get the uh, the explanation of, of the unexplained wealth order, that court order that uh, that causes you to tell the authorities where the money came from that you just bought that nice piece of real estate in West Vancouver with? So there's two pieces that you'd want to add on. The first is that uh, if you aren't able to explain where the money came from, the government keeps the asset. And the other is uh, that it's not necessarily when they suspect that there is a crime that's happened. Um, So with unexplained wealth orders, the province is, like you said, giving itself the power to say that's a really nice new house or car. And in fact, it's so nice, we don't believe you could have paid for it with money that you made legally. Right. Uh, So explain yourself. And if your explanation isn't good enough, we'll be keeping it. So I think uh, it's important to note that nowhere in there does it say that there is a suspected crime. And in B.C., we already have several tools that address uh, criminal proceeds. There is criminal forfeiture, where if you're convicted of a crime, the asset can be taken. Sure, yeah. And we... And we also have a tool called civil forfeiture, which allows the government to seize assets if it merely suspects that a crime has been committed. So in those cases, the government have to prove that it's more likely than not that the assets are the proceeds of crime. But under the civil forfeiture rules, the government has to prove that they think that the, the, the proceeds are, are, are criminal-based and therefore you're undeserving of owning this asset. The difference between that and the new one, as I understand it, Greg, would be that they don't have to prove anything. They can just reach out and grab it. Uh, that, that's pretty much the case. And in fact, we do have a tool already called administrative forfeiture, which works that way when there's a suspicion of a crime they can take assets of under $75,000 just by filing a claim against the asset. And the owner has to step in and prove that they get to keep it. Um, So we do have tools for for smaller amounts, but when you start to get up to larger amounts, uh, that's where the unexplained wealth orders would come in. And some of this, and it has to be pointed out in in anyone in a conversation about this, doesn't it, Greg, that a lot of this, uh, particularly the unexplained wealth orders, flows directly from the Cullen Commission into money laundering in B.C. that we know uh, examined an awful lot of billions of dollars of cash that have really seriously altered the economy of British Columbia, more or less on a permanent basis, especially in the real estate sector. Austin Cullen, the commission this is one of his recommendations, uh, 101 of them in his overall report. So this is the government essentially justifying it by, well, we're just following up on the recommendations of the money laundering inquiry. Uh, that, that's essentially the government's argument. Uh, I think uh, 
the BCCLA and me personally would not agree with that. Um, we we would think that it would be more important to protect uh, charter rights to uh, to be free from self-incrimination, to have a presumption of innocence and due process. Um, and and another piece that uh, is you can kind of see elements of it throughout the Cullen recommendations is additional data collection and surveillance of financial transactions. Um, I think that the additional surveillance that would be required to bring in a bunch of these rules uh, creates a, a real risk of, uh, of people being targeted for things like political opinions or religious beliefs, which are easily revealed through financial transactions. So even the premier, Mr. Eby, says it's very like he's a lawyer and, of course, worked once for the B.C. Civil Liberties Association, who've come out rather stridently opposed to this particular legislation that he's now going to table. But he says he's one of the first, in fact, to say this one's likely to get challenged. So, Greg, let's say that you're the lawyer that's going to take this challenge to the courts. Uh, And so what would the basis, the most likely to succeed basis uh, that you would approach the court challenging the unexplained wealth uh, orders? Uh, well, it's too early to really say because we haven't seen the legislation That's or true. how it would work. And there may be tools in there that mitigate against some of these complaints. Um, but the two that I would focus on would be uh, the presumption of innocence and due process mm-hmm. and self-incrimination. So, uh, Unexplained wealth orders, as we've seen them in other jurisdictions, uh, have a lower standard of proof than the beyond a reasonable doubt standard that we all know about for criminal convictions. Sure. Um, so unlike civil forfeiture, they reverse the burden of proof, saying that you have to justify why the property was acquired legally. It would be like you having to uh, explain why you are not guilty instead of the government having to prove that you are. Right. Uh, so I think that is one likely target. And the other is a bit more technical, uh, has to do with self-incrimination. Um, so the Charter of Rights and Freedoms gives Canadians the right not to provide evidence that will be used to incriminate themselves. Okay, sure. But uh, the way the courts see it, evidence is only incriminating if it's later part of a criminal offense that's proved at trial. So in this in this way, the the government could use unexplained wealth orders to coerce people into giving evidence that could then be used in investigations or criminal proceedings, but not used at trial. So people would need to choose between defending their property and incriminating themselves, uh, which I think is a violation of charter principles. So, and yet they seem to be pretty um, uh, locked in to going forward with this. And as you point out ever so accurately this morning, Greg, it's not written yet. So there's not a lot to specifically criticize. But in terms of the thrust, the theme of the legislation, uh, it's a threat as you see it. And many other in the legal, others in the legal community share your opinion, Greg, that it really does, uh, it really does uh, infringe on uh, the whole notion of, of criminality and and, and your uh, your ability to defend yourself, and and I think that's probably going to be where the the rubber meets the road uh, in terms of court challenges, don't you? Uh, I think that's absolutely right. That uh, that that these tools take away people's ability to defend themselves or force them into criminal proceedings. Uh, and one interesting note is that when uh, 
when assets are seized, are seized this way, or at least under the administrative forfeiture, uh, they're not available to the person to do things like hiring a lawyer to help them fight the case. Ah. Um, and we've seen uh, incidents in B.C. where uh, there have been very unfortunate outcomes of this, where uh, uh, there's one case of a man who had a rare coin collection that, he, that he'd uh, collected over the years and wasn't able to prove where it came from. Um, other cases through the, uh, the BC Hydro surveillance looking for grow-ups, uh, where people had things like uh, tropical fish tanks or, uh, or indoor greenhouses for tomatoes. Um, so I think there's a, a real risk to people being caught up in these proceedings uh, and and having to defend themselves in a way that none of us should in Canada. Interesting stuff. And of course, as you point out ever so accurately, Greg, it's not yet written, but we do appreciate your getting up early on a Saturday morning to sort of give us a heads up as to what's coming down the legislative pike. This one is going to be extremely controversial. Greg McMullen, thanks very much for this. We do appreciate it, sir. Well, thanks for having me. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.